Would you pray as we look at God's word together? Father God, we thank you, Lord, for the privilege of coming and worshipping you as your people. We thank you, Lord, for the, the absolute privilege of being church. Father God, churches are coming all flavours and different sizes and shapes. Uh, and Lord, churches are all on a journey. Um, Lord, all of us uh, are where we shouldn't be. Um, but Lord, we want in this church to be taken where you want us to be. Father God, would you mould this church by your grace, because of your grace, into the church you want us to be. Father, just bless us now as we think again about grace and that word, Father God, and what it means for us. And we pray that you would give us open hearts, Father God, that the words I speak, Lord, that you would use them for your glory. That, Father God, people would hear, all of us would hear, myself included, what we need to hear, even if it's not even what's said. And we just lift everything to you now in Jesus' name. Amen. So we're looking at the, that word grace again this morning. We've got three weeks on it. I said uh, last week... Uh, we looked at just simply what is grace and why does it matter. Um, and then this week we're looking a little bit about how God shows grace to us. Next week we have a practical uh, demonstration of grace in action as Joan is baptised. Um, when we see grace in action uh, in life there. And then the following week we'll finish our series um, on grace just a few weeks at a time. Um, I'm going to start with a joke. Uh, I'm only introducing it as a joke because as I look at it it's not actually very funny. Um, but you can laugh anyway. All right, great. I haven't told it yet, (laughs) but it's not really that good. Anyway, there was once a handyman uh, who had a dog named Mace. See, it's already quite funny, isn't it? No? Right, okay. Um, Mace was a great dog, except he had one very weird habit. He liked to eat grass. Not just a little bit of grass, but in great quantities, such great quantities that it would make a lawnmower blush. And nothing, it seemed, could cure him of his habit of eating grass. One day, the handyman lost his wrench in the tall grass while he was working outside. He looked and he looked, and it was nowhere to be found. As it was getting dark, he gave up for the night and decided to look next morning for his wrench. When he awoke, he went outside, and he saw that his dog had eaten all the grass in the area around where he'd been working, and his wrench now lay in plain sight, glinting in the sun. Going out to the wrench, he called over to his dog, a grazing mace, how sweet the hound that saved a wrench for me. Why are you groaning? It's hilarious. I came up with that via the internet. Hang on. Yeah, that's the last one. Oh, that was quite good. By the way, I'm available for parties and weddings. Um, it's like a one-man, one-man show. Um, if you want to clear a room, equally, I can come and do that for you at any point. Anyway, let's move on very quickly. Um, so we're looking at this word grace. So last week we did ask that question, what is it, why does it matter? And, uh, and if you missed last week's talk, you can look on our church website, secchurch.org.uk, there we are, and uh, you can click on the uh, sermon and listen to it, however modern of us. Um, but we noted last week, didn't we, that, that word grace in the New Testament has a slightly different connotation to its use in the Old Testament. In the New Testament, it's really a word for favour, the favour of a holy God towards an unholy, unworthy people who sin and so often turn their backs on him. When we talk of God being gracious, we need to remember that we are not, that we are the ones who don't deserve anything of God's, but God is gracious. He shares, he shows his favour to us who actually, despite what we may think, in comparison to a holy God, don't deserve a single thing that he sees. Yet God is gracious and he is good to us who don't deserve it. Jay Gresham uh, said grace of grace, that it is the very center and core of the whole Bible, Christianity 
and the world. It is most clearly experienced in the promises of God revealed in Scripture and embodied in Jesus Christ. You will not experience grace unless you know Jesus Christ. You'll experience graciousness in parts because we're all made in the image of God and we have it in us to be gracious to each other. But true grace, full grace, amazing grace, um, you will only experience truly when you have a relationship with Jesus Christ as your Lord and Saviour. B.B. Warfield, uh, by the way, I don't know who either of those people are. Um, It's very dangerous. They could be well dodgy, couldn't they? I'm just quoting them on a Sunday morning. said, grace is free, sovereign favour to the ill-deserved. Free, sovereign favour to the ill-deserved. How often through life do you just only get what you deserve, what you've worked for, what you've busted your gut for, and people just give you what you deserve if you're lucky? How many people don't get what they deserve? Isn't that what all the electioneering is about? We'll give you what you deserve, and so often we don't get what we deserve or what we feel we deserve, but grace is God's sovereign favour to the ill-deserved deserved and we as Christians are saved by grace that's a phrase we use over and over because salvation actually can only come one way you can't make yourself good enough for the kingdom of God you can only be saved because of faith in God's only son Jesus Christ because he was perfect because he was our substitute he died in our place the Bible says and he only came to earth to die for us to pay the price for our sin because of the grace of God In his graciousness, he sent his son to die for you, to do for you what you could never, ever do in a million years for yourself. Make yourself perfect before God. When God looks at me, he sees the perfection of his son, not the sin of Gary Hansen. He knows it's there. He's not silly. But he sees the perfection. I'm covered in the righteousness of Christ. And I could never be right enough for God. But Jesus is my righteousness. And that's what God sees. And that's what's taking me to heaven when I die, because of the grace of God, he sent his son. John chapter 1, verse 17, Julie read it for us earlier on, is really a, a verse that just sums up uh, this sermon series and where grace is experienced and expressed. Uh, John writes, For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Ephesians chapter 2, um, hang on, verses 2 to 8, no, 2 to 8 to 10 even. Um, chapter, yeah. So I'm reading chapter 1 later on, that's why I got slightly confused there. Hang on. So chapter 2 of Ephesians, verses 8 to 10, says, For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not of yourselves. It is a gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. How, what a wonderful verse. You're saved by grace. There can be no boasting, because you're God's handiwork how often we think we're our own handiwork I'm going to work on me let God work on you let God actually craft you he's the master craftsman what you produce will just not be right if you work on yourself let God work on you I promise you you will not be disappointed actually sorry I lied earlier on there was a second joke this is far funnier but you won't laugh because you already know it um there was a minister doing a kids talk at church if you've ever stood up the front and you get the phrase why don't you do the kids talk most people up the front slightly groan because they think oh why me Uh, and so he had all these kids in front of him on a Sunday morning and he said to them now children I've got a I've got a friend with me and I'm going to describe him to you and you've got to guess what he is you've heard this I know but I'm telling it anyway and uh, and he said you know it's uh sort of fluffy and big ears the kids were he's got sort of paws and claws you know 
nice to cuddle when you're in bed. Big black nose and big eyes goes, Arr! In the end, one boy sort of put his hand up like that. He said, yes. And he said, look, mate, I know the answer is Jesus, but it didn't half sound like a teddy bear. <laughs> the three of you have never heard that laugh, thank you. The rest of you were very silent. Um, but actually, when it comes to grace, Jesus is the, always the answer. He is always the yes. He is always the destination. He is always the source. And this morning, actually, all of us, regardless of how a spiritual or, or dry we may feel, all of us need to return to the source of God's grace, which is a relationship with Jesus Christ, our Savior. And when you think of your faith, or when I think of my faith, how strong is it this morning? What state do you find yourself in this morning? Do you need God's favor again? Do you need his grace? Do you need lashings of his kindness on you? Yes, you do. Yes, I do. And you only get it by going back to the source, which is Jesus Christ. In fact, let me pray for you. Can I just pray for all of us now? Just let me pray. Father, I want to pray for any here this morning, Lord, who are just feeling flat, who are feeling dry, who are feeling fed up. And Lord, they know they need your favor. They know they need something. Your kindness and your goodness and your love is what we would say they need. Father God, call each one of us back into your presence. I thank you, Lord, that Jesus says, come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Father God, give rest to those who are restless this morning. Lord, whether it be in their mind or in their soul or in their body, give rest, I pray, through your grace. And I pray blessing on all those that need it in Jesus' name. Amen. So we go back to Jesus. Why? Because grace, um, because this grace is amazing. John Newton wrote, didn't he, of amazing grace. He discovered the amazing grace of God, even though he was a human trafficker, a slave uh, ship owner. The grace of God is life-changing. To know the favor of almighty God, there is nothing like it in all the world. John Stott uh, once said, grace is love that cares and stoops and rescues. Grace is love that cares and stoops and rescues. You won't find another religion on the planet that talks of a holy God stooping to scoop up those who are unworthy. Everybody else teaches appeasement. Christianity teaches love and rescue from our king. Today, maybe you're drowning in a sea of anxiety or stress. Perhaps you're on the edge. Maybe you feel at the bottom. You need to call out to the God who stoops and cares and rescues through his son, Jesus Christ. And so how is God's grace experienced? How does God express his grace to us? Well, Ephesians chapter 1, if you've got a Bible, it'll be good to have it open. I know it'll be on the screen. Uh, But Ephesians chapter 1, verses 3 to 14, is possibly one of the most beautifully full passages in the New Testament about this amazing grace. It tells us so much about God's grace and how he gives it through his son, Jesus, and just what his grace means in reality. And I'll read it to you, verses 3 to 14 of Ephesians chapter 1, if you have it um, in front of you. Paul, the writer of Ephesians, writes this. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love, he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ, in accordance with his pleasure and will, to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us in the one he loves. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, 
in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us with all wisdom and understanding. He made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure which he purposed in Christ to be put into effect when the times reached their fulfillment to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. In him we were also chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will, in order that we who were first to put our hope in Christ might be for the praise of his glory. And you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. When you believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit of guaranteeing a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession, to the praise of his glory. That is one seriously long, full-up passage. And we're just going to have a brief look at it now. It is beautiful. It is a great passage with so many words and terms of ideas. If we had a month, we wouldn't even get through what I've just read. So we'll just whiz our way through it. But a few things that, as Paul ponders God's grace... Uh, He writes down in that passage in Ephesians chapter 1. In verse 3, we read, don't we, that God has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in Christ. He says in verse 3, because of God's grace, we receive all the spiritual blessings available to us in heaven. Many people understand that verse to mean the giving of his Holy Spirit within us into our lives. Paul is saying something truly amazing, isn't he? God gives his people unworthy as they are all those blessings that belong in heaven are not in our fallen broken world think about that God gives his best he gives his all gift without measure it says every spiritual blessing how often do you only give a little to people but God gives every spiritual blessing our God is a generous God we're not talking a prosperity gospel that's rubbish We're talking the blessings of God that come through his son, Jesus Christ. It is his nature to bless us. It is his nature to show favor on broken people. So often the devil whispers in your ear, doesn't he? You're too broken. You're too messed up. You're too dry. You're not spiritual enough. God won't bless you. Absolute rubbish. Our God is generous. Our God is loving. Our God blesses those. And he can't help himself. He can't help but bless and love and show favour to us. When I think of this church and all the blessings we've experienced for many, many years, long before I came, but just in my time, because I can only talk about that, how many new faces have we seen? How many fruitful works have we had the privilege of doing as a church that have just gone very well? That is the grace of God. We don't deserve it. Think of things like Haley and Zone and Open Door and Make Lunch, to name just a few. They all are just blessed by God, aren't they? But we don't deserve that. That's not our giftings that have made those things good. It's the grace of God. Blessing can't help but bless his church. Think of the miracles, the answers to prayer. Think of the prophetic messages people have given about our future, where God will bless us more and more and more. We're not worthy of any of it. Our God just blesses us with every spiritual blessing, and it is humbling, and it is wonderful. Paul goes on in verse 4. He says, for he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In grace, God knew us and even chose us long before we were born. And this morning, that actually means something. It means something today because your roots, if you're a Christian, actually go further back 
than your mum and dad. They go further back than your childhood, further back than your school days. So many of us are rooted in the past, yet when you know Christ, your roots go into eternity, into the very nature and character of God. I am rooted in Jesus. My roots and my identity are in him, not anywhere else. That means something this morning. Some of you allow yourselves to be defined by where you were born or how you were born or who brought you up. Today is time to stop because your roots are in Christ. Not there. Not there. And go further back. Go back to the beginning of your story, which is when God knew all about you before you were even born. That's where you really begin. Psalm 139 talks of how God knit us together in our mother's womb, how he saw us before we were even born. And when God called Jeremiah to be one of his most amazing prophets in the Old Testament, he said this to Jeremiah. He said, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I set you apart. I appointed you as a prophet to the nations. And whilst none of us here are Jeremiah, we all are known by God. And I believe all of us are set apart for his will his purposes. God is gracious in his nature. He shows his favor and his kindness long before we were born, not just for the sake of it, but for a purpose. He calls us to be holy, to be blameless, to be set apart, to change the world. Verse 5, Paul carries on and he says um, that he predestined us for adoption to sonship. Um, if you're a lady here today, that term, adoption to sonship, uh, in Greek is a legal term which simply means that you have the full rights of the person that's formally adopting you. So we are all adopted into God's family. And this morning, maybe you were adopted into a human family. All of us are adopted into God's family if we know Jesus Christ as our Lord. We all have full rights in God's family. In Christ, we become heirs and children with an inheritance And God, through his son, Jesus, his death and resurrection has adopted us, called us, predestined us long before we were born because of his grace and his love. Verse 7, Paul writes there, doesn't he? In Christ and by God's grace, we've been redeemed. He talks about redemption being bought back because we were once slaves to sin, slaves to darkness. But Jesus, when he dies, buys us back. He pays a price and he buys us from our slavery to our freedom. There was a story of a little boy. Um, I don't think this is a joke. You can laugh if you like. Um, A little boy um, was carrying his boat to the edge of the river. As he carefully placed it on the water to play with it, uh, with a little bit of string, a strong current sort of whipped the string out of his hand and he watched it sail down the river. He chased after it all of his might and he lost it in the distance. Disappointed, downhearted, he walked home. And the next day on the way to school, he passed a toy shop and he noticed a boat in the window. And he thought, that's my boat. So he went in and he said to the owner, that's my boat. And the owner said, I'm really sorry. Somebody else brought it in. If you want it, you've got to buy it. So the little boy ran home. He got all of his pocket money. He went back to the shop the next day. And he said, here's all my money. And the man said, that's enough. And he bought his boat back. And as he held his boat tight, he said this, you are now mine twice. I made you and I have bought you. This morning, God wants to own you twice. He made you. In Christ, he has bought you back. You have to allow him to take hold of you. Verses 9 and 10, Paul talks about being a part of God's amazing plan. He made us to know the mystery of his will uh, according to his good pleasure, 
um, proposed in Christ, put into effect. Uh, we're a part of God's amazing plan. In verse 11 and 12, he talks about being chosen, being predestined according to God's plan and God's purposes. And then verse 13 and 14, he talks amazingly about this grace of God. He says, in Christ, when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, when you believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession. He talks about being owned by God, redeemed by God, his inheritance. And it's the most amazing passage. If you get a part a chance to go home and really meditate on it. But he says there, doesn't he, that we have this Holy Spirit who is a guarantee of our salvation. When Ron Burton passed away on Monday of this week, he didn't go into the dark abyss of nothingness. He didn't just drift off into who knows where. When Ron Burton died, he was sealed with the inheritance. The Holy Spirit was on him, with him, within him. And when he died, he passed into his inheritance. He is with his king, with his God. And he will be there forever. I was with Ron only uh, 10 days before he died. And there was not one hint of fear in his eyes. He was uncomfortable. He was uh, in some, uh, some discomfort. But he was not frightened of the end. Because he has been sealed as an inheritance that will last forever. He has gone home. He is not lost by God's grace. God shows his grace through Jesus Christ, his death and resurrection. And when we follow him, we're in Christ. And we have every spiritual blessing. We're adopted into his family. Uh, We have a place to belong, an inheritance that lasts forever. A new ownership um, and that goes beyond the grave. And as Paul lists all these things, he says three things about God's grace. In verse 6, he describes God's grace as glorious. And in verse 7, he describes it as the riches of of God's grace. And in verse 8, he describes how God's grace is lavished upon us. As Paul pondered the many blessings in his own life and the lives of others, he was constantly reminded of his own unworthiness before a perfect and holy God and how he deserved none of God's goodness, not even a crumb. Yet as Paul thought through all that God gives in Christ, he couldn't help but turn to praise and worship because this king sent his son to die and rescue him. Who are we that he ought to bless us over and over again? Who are we, in fact, that God should stoop and rescue those who so often couldn't care less about him? Who are we that we are given an inheritance that moth or rust or the footsie, whatever it is, can't change or affect one tiny bit? Who am I that this holy God should be calling me by name long before I was born, long before I was even thought about by my parents, long before they were even born, long before the whole world was made. Who am I that that God should know my name before I was born? Who am I that God should love me before I mattered to a single human being on this planet, that he had already decided to send his son long before I was thought of? Who am I that I should be loved like that? Who am I that even when my life is rough, that God promises to be my strength and my shield, who says already his grace is sufficient for me? He is an almighty God. He is gracious and compassionate and full of love. Who am I? Well, nothing. But one thing. I'm nothing but his child. And in Christ... 
I have everything I could possibly ever need. And so do you, if you are his child this morning. He loves you and he's gracious towards you and he wants more of you. And we need to open the door and let him in. Today is the day. Shall we pray? Lord God, I just want to lift up, Father, this word grace. Father, in my own life, I've known your favour. And Lord, that's what um, really keeps us going, keeps me going. Lord, that knowledge that I'm so unworthy. We're all so unworthy of anything that you could give us. Yet, Lord, such is your love. Lord, you work out of love for your people. God is love, 1 John says. Lord, you sent your son out of grace. Lord, not duty or anything else. Lord, you're not a God that we appease by coming to church every Sunday. Lord, you're a God that we love and we're in a relationship with. Thank you, Lord, for your grace. Thank you, Lord, for your goodness. Lord, who am I? Who are we? Yet, Lord, we may think we're nothing. But, Lord, you loved us so much that you'd already decided long before our birth that your son would be nailed to a cross for our salvation. I thank you for your grace. In Jesus' name.